You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now looking at the prayer. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. The Sermon on the Mount, 24. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find the Lord's Prayer. And that is what we will investigate this morning. Thank you so much for listening. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. This prayer, it has been noted, is a summary of the gospel itself. Faith has been distilled to its true essence. It's the relationship of a child to a father. And the prayer is addressed to our Father in heaven. There's no mention of doctrine, or even specific commandments. This is simple. It's clear. It's the opposite of repetitious babbling and long-winded prayers. And here, Jesus takes out anything that's extraneous, anything that's not of spiritual and eternal value, and He teaches us how to pray meaningfully and memorably. Many of you, like me, may have been taught this prayer in your childhood, and you remember it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so forth. It would have been with the King James pronouns from 400 years ago. And it would have been a little bit longer because there's an extra sentence that came in later. We'll look at this in a moment, but I'd like to just proceed straight through this prayer, and hopefully this will give you something great to, to work on this morning as you center yourself in the will of God. Our Father in heaven, this is a unique phrase. You'll occasionally find people being addressed as my Father, but to say our Father, even to call God Father, is not as common in Judaism as you would think, and my father you won't find either. This shows us that Jesus expected that much of our prayer would be with other believers. Our father indicates that we're in a group. We've come together to pray. We've come together to say these very words. And throughout the prayer, it's the church at prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us not to temptation. It's not lead, don't lead me to temptation, but deliver me from evil. Of course, we make it our own as we pray it in a heartfelt way, but it's corporate. It's a corporate prayer. Christianity was never intended to be individualistic. May I add, 
any spiritual prayer, if we understand that Jesus is our mediator, is a valid prayer, even without the beloved formula in Jesus' name. We are praying in Jesus' name when we do what he says. And it's interesting, I find no ancient prayers ending with those words in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe we don't have to say that. What kind of prayer is possible because of Jesus? Well, firstly, it's not prayer to the Spirit or to Jesus. It's prayer to the Father. It's to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. That is, we pray to God our Father through the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And yet, you don't find the Trinity in this prayer. And you don't find, again, the closing off lines uh, in Jesus' name, amen. He says, hallowed be your name. To hallow means to make holy or to consecrate. I will quote from a couple of the ancient Christians here, because some of these quotes are just so good. A number of them in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century wrote about the Lord's Prayer. And so we can see how they understood it uh, getting back close to the time of the apostles. Well, here's one from Cyprian. It is not that we wish for God to be hallowed by our prayers. <laughs> Rather, we beseech of him that his name may be hallowed in us. For by whom could God be sanctified, since he himself sanctifies? It is he who says, be holy, even as I am holy. So we ask and entreat that we who were sanctified in baptism may continue in that state in which we've begun. And we pray daily for this because we need sanctification on a daily basis. <laughs> and I would say amen after that. We need daily sanctification. So Cyprian is saying, we're not making God's name holy as though God weren't holy. It's being made holy in our lives, in our lives that began with the commitment in our baptism. Okay, so what is God's name? God's name you will not find in the Bible. If you're looking for a name like your name, your name Russell or Evelyn or Mark or Letitia or Mia, you won't find a name. I mean, Moses asked, what's God's name? And he says, I am. Well, I am is not a name. The Lord reveals his name to Moses in Exodus 34. And his name there is not a name. It's simply a, a list of his qualities. The early Christian writers unanimously agreed that God has no name, just ways of describing him. Justin Martyr said, to the father of all who is unbegotten, there is no name given. These words, father, God, creator, Lord, and master are not names. Rather, they are descriptions derived from his good deeds and functions. So his name, we're talking about his nature and his authority and being in conformity with his will as we live our lives the right way is how we hallow, how we sanctify his name in ourselves. Your kingdom come. Well, interestingly, some modern Christians think it's unspiritual to pray the Lord's Prayer because the kingdom already came at Pentecost. Well, um, it's true that the kingdom comes at Pentecost because whenever the king comes or he sends his spirit, in this case, the kingdom is there. 
But the kingdom comes multiple times in the Bible. It's not unspiritual to pray. As a young Christian, I was taught we don't need to pray it because the kingdom's already come. And besides, uh, God wants us to pray spontaneously, not to use formulas and written prayers and liturgy. Well, I'm not so sure that that's true. Sometimes it's very helpful to pray the exact words of passages like this, the Lord's Prayer. Or how about some of the Psalms that may be special to you? Of course, Christ is already reigning. And yet there's a future aspect too. The kingdom will continue to come. God's kingdom reigns over those who've submitted to Christ as king. And eventually it's going to be over the entire earth. And that's unstoppable. And of course, we want to see the kingdom of God reign over others. And that's why we're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for the whole world. Around the year 100 AD, the Didache, that's the teaching of the 12 apostles, says, do not pray as the hypocrites, rather as the Lord commanded in his gospel, pray in this manner three times daily during the day. And I actually, I left part of the quote out. That quote is the entire Lord's Prayer. So don't praise the hypocrites with all those words and with vanity, but pray using the Lord's Prayer three times a day. <laughs> it sounds like a prescription. It's something your doctor told you to do. Well, Jesus is the great physician and he knows what we need. And we pray for God's kingdom to come. And that's parallel to the next phrase, your will be done. Because when God's will is done and where God's will is done, God's kingdom continues to advance. That's the way it goes. God's kingdom already reigns over those who have made Jesus their Lord. Your will be done. Okay, so that's parallel to the kingdom coming. And it has a present aspect. We want to obey uh, God in our lives, make it real. But we long for his will to be done in the future, on earth as it is in heaven. Because heaven is the abode of the angels, the spiritual beings who obey God. And we want it to be that way here on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. The bread is not just physical bread. Jesus himself said he is the bread of life. It's not wrong to see a deeper meaning in the lines of this prayer. Forgive us our debts. Now, if you went to Luke's version, it seems to be a different occasion, but it's a very similar prayer, Luke 11. There it's forgiving sins, forgiving trespasses. And you might say they're quite different because a debt is something someone owes me financially or maybe another commitment. Whereas a sin is more like something that I owe to God. No payment would ever be sufficient to ransom myself, as uh, the beautiful Psalm 49 um, indicates. And when we don't hold people's sins against them, we may not be holding their debts either, even financial debts. It really has to do with the kind of people we are we're giving. We need to forgive others, and there's more about that in our very next uh, devotional lesson. Lead us not into temptation. Of course, it's impossible for God to tempt. Lead us into temptation in, in the way that James 1 contradicts. But this was understood by the ancient Christian as meaning do not allow us to be led into temptation. God either causes or he permits. And so we're thinking of God in a more indirect way, kind of a big picture way. But deliver us from evil. 
or from the evil one. And both meanings are possible from the original Greek, and both meanings were understood by various ancient Christians. And then we have those extra words, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And if you were brought up in a traditional church, Anglican, Episcopalian, Catholic, Orthodox, you'll be familiar with the older versions like the King James that ends with those words. But those words, those words of, it's called a doxology, a word of praise, that's missing from, is generally missing from the oldest Greek manuscripts. And it's also missing from Latin writers who quote the Lord's Prayer in the first couple of centuries. People um, that I've referred to in this series, like Origen and Cyprian and Tertullian, wrote commentaries on the Lord's Prayer, and there's nothing on this line. I don't think it was there. On the other hand, we have the Didache, the teaching that goes back maybe to the year 100 or so. Uh, we've got Tatian's writing around 160, even Chrysostom, closer to 400. They all end the Lord's Prayer with those words. And most of the later Greek manuscripts contain it, just not the early ones. So you could argue either way. Is it original? Maybe, maybe not, but it's certainly true and it's certainly ancient. So I don't think we're displeasing to the Lord if we, um, you know, if we use that expanded version. And generally when I pray the Lord's Prayer, which is most days, I use the, the longer version. Okay. Well, even if we pray the Lord's Prayer just right, we're not going to be pleasing to him if our attitude towards our fellow human being is wrong. And that is a vital topic in our next devotional. But for now, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on the Sermon on the Mount. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.